Welcome to Team Luke for Minds Podcast. On this show, our mission is to help families just like yours. We'll bring you inspiring stories from brain injury survivors, advice from health professionals, and much more to help make the recovery journey a little easier. If you or anyone you know has a, suffered from a brain injury, this show is for you. Hey everyone, I'm Jared Samuels. And I'm Austin Morgan. And welcome to another episode of the Team Luke Hope for Minds podcast. Um, today we have Jonathan Parr, uh, who works with a PT, who works with a lot of brain injury patients. So let's welcome Jonathan. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here. So, Jonathan, um, what's your story? My story? Well, uh, today marks my 10 years anniversary of being a physical therapist, but that backtracks all the way to about 2000 when my sister was diagnosed with a condition called um, ADAM, so acute disseminating encephalomyelitis, which is very similar to MS. It affects the myelin, but um, she went through that phase where she presented like a stroke, you know, couldn't speak, couldn't swallow, um, you know, one-sided weakness. And I was only 16 at the time and she was 21. So being able to, to see that and um, watched all the difficulties that she went through was really hard for me as a kid and I didn't really understand it but I was trying to figure out a way okay what can I do to make this better um, but unfortunately at the time she didn't have insurance so at that time I watched my parents uh, go through over a year of just cash pay in hospitals and you kind of understand how that goes with the finances and um, I knew at that point I needed to do something that in case that she were to stay sick would my parents have to pay so that's when I chose to be a physical therapist and, um, you know, kind of went that route and, and moved forward trying to get all my stuff ready to try to get into PT school. Um, went into strength and conditioning temporarily until I could get in. You know, it's a little challenging and definitely didn't get in the first round, but got in the second one. I ended up going to UTMB. And as soon as I got to UTMB, I just went and hit the ground running, um, you know, trying to get out, good grades. And as soon as I got out, I got a good chance to start off with going to a neuro-based hospital. Um, yeah. So in terms of your work with brain injury patients, can you talk a little bit about that and how you, how you got started doing that and then like what you've seen? Yeah. So I started working with brain injury patients actually while I was in school. So we had a, some good rotations at a tier Memorial Hermann in, in Houston. And we had some other side opportunities over at Methodist and some of the other local hospitals around there where, um, we got a taste of what it really was to work with brain injury, um, you know, starting out at the most acute level all the way to the outpatient. So we saw that phase of, you know, where they start from, where their middle is, and then where they end, at least from the outpatient standpoint, not from a lifelong standpoint. Um, and there just drew me in because I'm very, um, hate to say, it, I get bored easy, but it, it made me... You're goal-oriented? Very goal-oriented, yes. Um, I, I, I like the idea of taking on a, on a case and trying to find ways to not only improve their life, but improve their family because the brain injury doesn't just affect the person, it affects the people around them. So having that experience and going into that as a student made it easier to go into it, going into my profession as, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to really change the lives of others, but really put in the effort versus running through what they call like the mill where they put you on a bike, they put you on a mat, and you know, kick the legs up. We had a taste of all that, so that definitely changed my perception on how I wanted to approach um, brain injury and spinal cord injury as a whole. So coming at this uh, brain injury perspective, uh, what are some of the challenges with your patients? I, I think one of the hardest things, and it, it, for me it was not just 
the actual treatment of the patient. It was to get the family's trust. I think that understanding their, um, basically what they're going through gives you an idea of how to approach the situation because you have a loved one that's going through a traumatic injury. It's completely devastating for them. And then you have, you know, your average Joe coming in, hey, I'm such and such, and I'm going to do therapy on your child, mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever it is. Well, what makes me feel comfortable about letting this random person handle my loved one? So that, that was my, my more of my interpersonal skills, really being educated and being able to um, educate them, hey, this is my experience, this is what I feel um, would be you know, beneficial to your son or your sister or whatever it might be. And then to be able to build that trust in the beginning phases of therapy. Now, in relation to the patient, it was all about what, what are you really presenting with? So you may have a deficit of, you may have weaknesses in one arm or you may be completely paralyzed on one side. Well, aside from that, okay, what makes you tick? Are there things that make you angry? Are there things that make you anxious? Tapping into the brain first and, and understanding whether you're verbal or nonverbal, you have to be able to understand how you're going to approach that patient because it's going to dictate how you actually resolve the treatment or, or resolve the injury, whatever it might be. So that was my biggest challenge is focus on interpersonal skills, focusing on what the personality was and is of the current patient, and then be able to apply that with my treatment methods. Yeah, I've um, <clears throat> sorry, I actually agree with you. Like, because I've uh, seen other patients, and like sometimes it's you know you gotta figure out like what motivates them, like what pushes them, what moves them, kind of deal. It's 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 a complicated puzzle, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I think with the especially with the motivation when when any patient suffers this kind of injury, you're needing that person on the other side to not only push you, but be able to push you past what you're comfortable with. So it's like, okay, well, I have to get this person comfortable with being uncomfortable. How do I get that in order to get the change that I want to see and what they want to see? So I'm And they're probably 100%. like more averse to that, especially after an injury. Exactly. And they may not even be aware of it. So how do I put them in an environment that makes them feel safe before they try things. So starting with slower progressions and you know getting them used to touch and feels and stimulus and noises and you know all these little things that seem very minute make a huge difference on the initial um, progression of someone that's fresh off a of brain injury. Well, and then in some cases like mine, you know, I had my um, posterior uh, central sulcus injured, which. Um, uh, is it, yeah, it's your somatosensory cortex, mm-hmm. so it's your sense of touch and feel. So, like, what do you do if you know a patient is missing whatever you're working on? I guess. Yeah, I mean that, that's a great question. So, just using that as an example, if I'm understanding that they may have lost lost the actual sensation component, I may have to provide different type of stimulus. So, if you're hypersensitive, I'm not going to put you on something that's very rough or. Um, you know, things that may heighten your, your sensation that may cause you to react, whether it's with spasticity, uh, withdrawal, or even some sort of behavior, because we have to keep that in mind with, as the brain, as it heals, there's going to be some sort of behavior component that comes with it. Um, but there's activities like desensitizing. So if I'm able to, let's just say you have an issue with your hand or your arm, and I'm able to slowly bring in different textures. Okay, soft, smooth, rigid, you know, sandpaper, rough those kind of things to slowly get you used to the actual feeling before actually trying something that involves that material. So that, that, that would be more of your fundamental standpoint. Let's, let's target that part of the brain that's, um, 
that's having the difficulty with with um, um, I would say responding to the stimulus that's given. So if it's someone with behavior, if you know some injury in the frontal part of the brain, we know that okay, I may not get them on things that will cause him to be more angry. So things that are harder. If you're thinking about things that are more stressful, the more stress you get, the more we build up inside. Well, a lot of times with brain injury, their way to express themselves if they're not able to actually verbalize is to physically show you. So again, taking those progressions in mind on what's affected and what am I going to do to accommodate that specific impairment so we can get past that little barrier before we move forward into some higher level stuff. So it sounds like it's really individualized in terms of like you see all sorts of different things. It's not like, oh, I just rolled my ankle. It's yeah. like there's so, there's so much, a much bigger component to it, you know. And, and I think when you're thinking about brain injury or any neurological um, condition, it doesn't fit a protocol. Like it will never fit a protocol because everyone's personality is different. Everyone's injury is different. So each time that you get someone, it's like a fresh slate. So you have to begin the assessment the minute you lay eyes on them versus actually talk to them because you're mm. going to see their mannerisms. Are they fidgeting? Are they twitching? Do they feel comfortable? Are they shrugging out of um, fear? Like all these little small um, body, uh, what do you call that? Body gestures will we'll also show you, okay, what do I really need to do before I even start? Yeah, my, um, I remember my neurologist always told me, once you've seen one brain injury, you've only seen one brain injury. That's 100% true. <laughs> Um, goodness, yes, it's, it's, and I, I think that's what makes it so special is that during, from a physical therapy standpoint, knowing that everything is different always keeps you on your toes and it's more, it, it, uh, it forces, it forces the PT to actually pull tricks out of the hat in order to continue to progress versus thinking that there's one, again, more protocol based on, okay, well, I ran out of ideas. You're constantly having to change things on the go. And I think with that therapist, it needs to be someone who's very specialized because you may not find that in someone who's not as educated in that realm of, of, of neuro. Okay, so I wrote on here, um, what are some commonalities you see? Maybe what we're talking about a lot of it being all individual. Are there commonalities you see among brain injury? You know, you know I, I thought a lot about trying to figure out what's the same or what, what are some similar um, characteristics with brain injury. And I think just considering more of the cognitive part, we, we have to know that the processing is going to be challenging for almost everyone, uh, depending on the severity. So keeping that in mind on how we instruct, how we uh, provide uh, verbal programs or written programs for caregivers. These are all things that are fairly common that can be a little bit tricky, but for the most part, I mean, every brain injury, again, working for 10 years, I, I still have not seen the same type of uh, presentation. You, you know, you are considering um, spasticity and, and whether or not they need pumps or braces or equipment, like all these things that are provided for this population may not always fit every single person. So that's the trick is really getting the experience and understanding of not only equipment, but the medical aspect with interventions and being able to find a doctor that's willing to work with the PT and, you know, bounce ideas back and forth because it really is a team effort, not just with PT. We're talking about OT and speech and, you know, the, the whole the whole power team is what I typically call it. Mm -hmm. 
So, based off of like everyone's different and all, like, what would you say is the most rewarding experience of your job? I think the most rewarding part of my job is actually being able to walk that journey with them because I know that with families, you know, we, we keep in mind that husbands and, and um, wives are involved with brain injury. So this restores marriages with the type of therapy that they get. You know, it, it's common, very common for caregivers to actually end up, you know, splitting or, you know, the, the other significant other being placed in homes and not having that just because it, it is a big burden. So when we're able to, to provide them with more function and, and more life, and more quality of life, uh, it's, I don't know, it's, it's one of those things you can't really explain other than that it just warms your heart to, to see that process go much further and then get back to, you know, things that they love to do. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to hit on? Yeah, I mean, right. and I, I can cover the same questions with other, um, you know, scenarios and things like that if needed. It's oh, well, there's it's a, kind of off I the actually, top of my head. Like, <laughs> I had a question earlier, but that I, I was afraid it might invade HIPAA policy. Um, I was just gonna ask. What question was it? We were. I don't know. You you were talking about something and it, like sparked my head, but then. I, it was basically just asking you something along the lines of like, oh, this is what working with. What is your... Can you see the mic? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. This kid. <laughs> um, so what... I have a question again. Um, hold on. Don't come to me. <laughs> Oh yeah, can you give an example of one of your most challenging patients? <laughs> yes, uh, I definitely can. Uh, I have, well now as a good friend of mine, he was a police officer and was involved in a high-speed chase, um, ended up having a car accident, suffered not only a brain injury, but a spinal cord injury, and then a few weeks after he was in the hospital, suffered a stroke. So more like the trifecta. So. Keeping that in mind with also with brain injuries, you may not just get the brain injury by itself. You have to consider other systems, whether it's spinal cord related or anything else. Um, you know, it could be something orthopedic based. So you're having to work around broken arms and shoulders and uh, other damage to the brain. Well, this individual went through um, a big hospital in Houston, did all his rehab there, and then transitioned into uh, the outpatient clinic where I was working. And between a team of people um, over the course of two and a half years, you got someone that was told that he would never walk again to running his first 5K. And to me, that was the ultimate experience of getting the most challenging case I've ever received from a brain injury standpoint to getting someone that got to the point that they defied all odds on what they were supposed to do to begin with. And now he's actually a motivational speaker to those who've also had that. so it's it gives me chills just even thinking about it. But yeah, he was yeah, that's incredible. he was the the best case I've ever gotten. That is incredible. I'm actually working on becoming a motivational speaker myself. Mm-hmm. I I actually just gave a speech about was it two three weeks ago, um, and it was to about a little over a hundred people. It was it was a good speech. Um, 
everyone came out to me. I don't know. Anyways, I'm going to stop bragging myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, that's good, though. I mean, it, it's, you got to get out there. And I think to, to be able to share your story with people that are going through the same or similar um, thing, it's, I don't think you have an idea on how that really affects those that are dealing with it. You know, you may have people that may not be even, you don't feel like are even paying attention, but they are. And it, it, it makes a big difference. Well, actually, I have. Um, so I've uh, gone out and personally met up with about a dozen different patients. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'll give you one example. Uh, one of the first ones I saw, he was a few years older than me, but... Um, we started talking and like I can just see the expression on his fake face was just bleak and like you know all doom is happening on him. Um, he had a very like sad tone in his voice, like he was just depressed looking. But well, we talked for about two hours or so, and like within like gradually within that those two hours, like his uh, facial expressions changed. Um, his voice had like a sense of hope in it, and like he was just ready to take on the next challenge after we talked. That's awesome. Yeah. That is, uh, and you'll see a lot more. I mean, a lot of people may not even express it right then and there, but then they'll go back and tell their friends, man, I, I feel I feel like I can accomplish something. I feel like I can, I can beat this. Um, and I, I think one of the, the points that I want to make too is those who are involved in you know the brain injury community is find a group that will definitely um, give you the resources and give you that motivation and give you the support and and finding clinicians that will actually go above and beyond for you because your type of injury is not going to be your basic sort of plan it is it, it needs to be an above and beyond plan and there are so many people out there it's a matter of finding that person great well um this is the last question we ask okay. everyone um what are your top, you, you can come with more or less, but okay. we say three recommendations for either brain injury patients or their families and caregivers? I think number one, um, it, it, you definitely need to find a group, a support group and community of brain injury folks. Um, I think number one is, is finding a support group for brain injury. Um, just because of the resources, um, it's a lot harder to find resources on your own by looking online, but when you've had people that can attest to these um, resources, it makes it a lot easier. Uh, number two, I say find yourself a good therapy team. Um, it's easy to wean out the ones that may not be, you know, may not suit you best, um, and it's not a bad thing. It, it's just you need to find someone that is skilled in what you need to be done, and it's okay to be able to choose that. And I think the third one is when I know um, from a financial standpoint, getting out there and, and, and getting some of these resources can be a little costly, and finding people that can get you, um, whether it's like home programs. I'm, you know, I've, I've been very adamant on home programs and training caregivers and to find ways to continue the recovery without necessarily having to go out the pocket with it. Um, those are the three things that I would recommend. Those are excellent recommendations. I, yeah, I, I remember coming back home from uh, the hospital, like, you know, I started looking at stuff up and you couldn't find diddly or squat. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I agree with you 100%. Money was a big thing and yeah, everything, every point you talked about would definitely 
huge. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you for uh, having me. I'm happy to, uh, to do this again sometime. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Thank you for listening to Team Luke Hope for Minds podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website, teamlukehopeforminds.org, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. See you all next time.